welcome to Man Pepper, a baseball podcast, straight baseball banter, coming in hot, episode 17, with your hosts, Jake and Chris. What's going on, man? What's going on, Jake? How you doing? I'm doing well. So we're recording this little intro uh, separate from our guest, which we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, So we'll save what we're drinking as well for our guest, as we already recorded. Uh, Before we get into who we're bringing in and who we're talking with, I got to ask you about Jordan Alvarez against our Red Sox, getting four strikes, four opportunities, and not capitalizing. So let me let me set the stage. Ball one from Rich Hill. Strike one, a foul ball, a strike three, but the umpire literally just called it as like strike two, I guess. No one really knew and nobody said anything. And Al- Alvarez stayed in the box. And then he grounded out in the next pitch. Nobody saw it. Nobody knew what was going on. I don't know how that happens in a professional game. Yeah, obviously the outcome is inconsequential, like he just grounded out, but it's wild to watch the replay. So like you said, called strike one, foul ball strike two, called strike three, and no one acted like it mattered. And then they just threw another pitch and he grounded out. Like, how does how does Rich Hill not say something? How does the catcher not say something? How does Alex Cora not say something? I, I really don't understand. And I haven't seen an explanation yet. I can't remember seeing something similar. And maybe in like Little League, Babe Ruth. I mean, shit, it probably happened at Siena. But we're talking, know. we're talking the pros, man. We're talking <laughs> yeah. the pros. <laughs> what, what the hell? I mean, we talk. So we're bringing on Jimmy DeShane, uh, who made it up to size AAA, played some foreign ball. We we talk about robo umps. So if you guys stick with it till the end, you'll hear about that. Whether it makes sense to go to robo umps, that might be. A reason why I don't I don't even know if we did a robo ump for that. Like, do we just need a robo a robo uh, count caller? I, maybe there's <laughs> a bell. Strike three. Or, I like yeah, the maybe bell. there's a bell or something that goes off. Like, it can't be a cowbell like the uh, like the Rays used to have. But maybe maybe a buzzer. Like, you know, America's Got Talent with the three X's and the last one. It's like Mah! like maybe that's just a big loud buzzer, and then everyone knows. Well, that was strike three. I mean, obviously, this isn't a persistent problem, uh, but I, I am shocked <laughs> that it can happen in Major League Baseball. To your earlier point, yeah. like, OK, happens in Little League or something, even though I, I really can't recall that happening. I know if I was coaching a Little League game, I know if my pitcher got three strikes on another guy. So the fact yeah. that an entire stadium missed this missed it doesn't make any sense to me. And the umpire didn't like ring him up. He just was like, right. He was just like, strike. Yeah, he just gave a normal strike call normal on strike, the strike call. three. And everyone acted like that made sense. <laughs> you know, <laughs> looking, looking like, oh, my God, dude, unbelievable. So, yeah, that's that's par for the damn course with these umpires these days who, again, we talk about it with Jimmy here in a little bit. Um, I think we had some differing opinions on on some of the maybe rule changes coming into play, but it's worth the listen. So uh, Chris, why don't you give a little, little background on Jimmy, if you would. Yeah. So like I said, um, I know Jimmy, I knew him growing up. He basically gave me hitting lessons starting when I was like 11 years old. And we ended up uh, really training together through the end of my college playing career, kind of turned into, you know, general hitting instruction to really just training partners um, while he was in the minor leagues. Uh, Definitely a big influence on me with respect to my baseball career. And 
I say this when we bring him on, but one of the more cerebral guys and players that I've ever been around definitely has a scientific approach to the game. And I think it's fair to say, Jake, that we nerd out a little bit on this podcast in a good way. 100%. Uh, 100%. Goes in a lot of different directions. We're going to talk about, you know, potential rule changes, um, the type of attitude it takes for any player from Little League up through professional ball players to really try to succeed and separate yourselves from the field. And a bunch of different things, but Jimmy's got a lot of good insight into all things baseball, and I really enjoyed the conversation. So I'm excited, hopefully, for all the listeners to stick with it till the end. Uh, so you know, Jimmy was recording at his house. A rainstorm did come through at one point, so bear with us when you hear the rain. Uh, we did have Jimmy move inside uh, for a little bit, so that helped. And there's a few other maybe audio difficulties, like just just minor things on his end. But bear with it. Trust me, it's worth it. A lot of good baseball discussion, baseball banter coming up. It's man pepper, baby. Let's get into it with Jimmy. Let's do it. All right, Jake, time for the guest. We're excited to welcome Jimmy DeShane to the podcast. Jimmy, uh, long minor league career, made it as high as AAA with the Cubs, spent some time in Taiwan as well, playing professionally. Uh, 10th round draft pick, I believe, out of Division Three Brandeis. Uh, if you look at the record books there, He's at the top of many of the categories and Brandeis Sports Hall of Fame, I believe, as well, in addition to the Bristol, Connecticut Hall of Fame. So the accolades go on, but let's just get into it. What's up, Jimmy? Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, guys. It's really it's really cool. Absolutely. Dude, nice. And first, nice to meet you. Uh, I know Chris has the ties, but tell me what you're drinking tonight. It looks like you're sipping on something, so you know, a little, I, little bourbon you know, or something. Chris told me that you know, it's okay to have a, a beverage with me. So, uh, in order to keep it social, I brought a little bourbon here. It's called chard, I believe. And it's like I said, a s- s- little bit smoky, probably a little bit more smoky than I would appreciate. Um, a good friend of mine, uh, I was working, giving batting lessons to the daughter of a good friend of mine. And, um, after a couple weeks of like putting her through her paces, um, you know, working out together, like he dropped me off a couple bottles of bourbon just to say thanks. Cause I was not going to take his money. He's one of my very few long time, long term friends. So Mike I'd work Kulak, the bourbon. by the way. Mike oh yeah, Kulak. of course. You know, my, I'm sure you know Mike. Kulak. What's up, Mike? Yeah, he's around. He's around. He's doing good. And his daughter's doing good too. Good. What a lot you got, of Bristol Jake? connection going on here. Yeah. 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 Well, I have, are you going to be surprised when I say, that um, I'm having a, a Fox farm and I like to see that you're wearing the shirt, Chris. Yep. So no shout out down there to the Salem guys, Dave and Dave and Zach, but I got the refluent again. It's about a 5.9% little, little IPA smooth and easy. Love it. I'm on the same train, man. I got Allagash river trip, pale ale, 4.8%. One of my summer go-tos nice and light, but still tasty. Great beer. Can I tell you this? I was at Total Wine yesterday because we're, uh, you know, had to stock up. And you've been talking about McLeodies, but it's by zero gravity, right? Yes. So I go in there and I'm like, hey, do you guys have any zero gravity? I mean, there's just millions of beers in this place. And I, is that a northern beer or is it, where, where is it from? Yeah, I think it is northeast. I could be wrong about that. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll check it. Keep going. Well, regardless. So I was like, hey, can I get a, a zero? Do you guys have zero gravity? And the guy's looking at me like I got three heads and he's like typing in his computer and he's spelling it like zero with an S, like zero. And then he's putting like, he's not separating it into two words. I'm like, no, no, no. It's like zero. And then he just does zero. 
Yeah. Like the the number zero oh. and then gravity. I'm like, okay, it's Z E R. Long and short, they didn't have it. But then I was like, dude, you just spent five minutes totally like like blowing my mind of how incompetent you were trying to find this beer for me. Yeah, Burlington, Vermont. So it hasn't made its way down to Charlotte yet. Oh man. That's funny. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. All right. Well, we're all set with the with the drinks. Looking forward to a good time. But Jim, thanks for joining us, man. Um, so just set in the background. Really so we've kn- we've known each other for a while. I think the story yep. is my dad ran into you at some point when I was like eleven or twelve, wherever in Bristol. Yep. Um, and basically, no, I know, I know where it was at the sporting goods store when okay. we still had one a sporting goods store. You were, you know, doing your first all all star turn, and you were he was looking for a, he was hot on the trail of a new bat. Yeah. And, you know, we got to talking and I had just come back from the Cape. And, you know, obviously your dad is like, oh, really? You know, (laughs) because, you know, we had never met or anything. But, you know, obviously, Mr. Mr. Kleps, uh, very involved as far as the baseball was concerned and spending time with you guys. So that, you know, that's how we got started talking and, um, you know, that's how we got introduced and, and started doing. You were my very first lesson actually oh that's crazy i didn't know that and uh jake i don't even know if you know this man so my dad and and a few other of my friends dads in like in little league we're like nine or ten built this like rickety little batting cage at the bottom of the polish club in bristol connecticut so like the basement down there there was nothing in it and they just put up nets put up some some drywall on one side some tarps and we had like a probably no longer than 50 foot batting cage no, it was um, more like thirty. Yeah, it was like yeah. a thirty footer. <laughs> like, like, like doing short toss type stuff, and like, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. Front, you could, you could probably sit and do front toss, you know, um, but you really couldn't stand. If you, if you stand, you were blowing somebody's doors off. But Jake, when my dad told the story about me hitting him in the eye, that's where it happened. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so we used to use real baseballs, and that was the last day we used real baseballs because I, I hit yeah. my dad in the eye. But I've got memories of Jimmy a minor league player at the time, his dad throwing him short toss or, you know, standing there doing overhand flips. And Jimmy's just freaking wailing away at this 40 foot cage with hard balls, like probably almost like Misses. tearing the walls down. Not safe at all, but it was not. And it wasn't long before um, I invested in some of the light flight balls. I don't know if yeah. you remember, we used to hit those. Yeah. A-tech. It, it, was, it, it was the A-Tech light flight balls had just like come out a few years earlier. And, um, so, I mean, at the time and even now they're very expensive, um, as you know, a, a dozen of balls go, uh, the funny thing is I still have about a dozen of those. They look like concrete, Chris, yeah. they're, they, they, they're, they, they still work and they still fly and you could, you know, they still fly pretty true, but I still have some of those in my, um, in, in you know, in the bag of tricks for, for the kids even now. Love it. Now they make them. Now they make them like, um, you know, fire engine green. You know that highlight that the softball color green. Oh so yeah, they're high, yeah. They're high high visibility. Yep. But um, and they're generally better quality now. But but back then, um, that was a big solution. So you didn't die. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yeah. That, because hey, you got to get your reps in, man. When you got to right, get your well, reps, you got to get right. your reps, right? Right. And and there was nowhere else at the time for me to go. That was it. Yeah, that was it. I didn't have enough money to to hit nearly as much as I needed to. And, you know, a family friend also, you know, kind of let me down there. 
uh, on top with, you know, Skip, who had kind of built the thing. Mm Mm-hmm. I so, gotta say, Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah. so, sorry, real quick. When you did your impression of Skip just a minute ago, that was so perfect. The, I really, what did I do? Oh, I really? <laughs> like, I literally thought you were Skip for a second. I was like, damn, that was no. just like I just saw him a month ago when I was up in Connecticut, and I yeah. feel like he looked at me and said, "Oh, really? Just like that?" Yeah, <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah, I didn't even know what I did, but yeah, I mean, I, we spent a lot of time together during that period of time. A lot. You know, from probably, you know, 99, 2000 to really the time that I retired in 2006. And yep. You were wrapping up school at about about that time. 2008, yeah. Right. So, I mean, we, I don't even know how many lessons, and eventually it turned into kind of, I was still learning from you, obviously, but just turning mm-hmm. into us kind of training a little bit together. Like we would yes. go down to the racket club and take ground balls in the racquetball courts and work on stuff there. Um, right. I, sure. trained, I trained an apprentice is kind of what happened. I needed a friend I, because yeah. there was no one, or, there was no one around. There was no one around th- that was serious about it. That was ready to pick up a bat and go hit that, you know, had a clue as to what the hell it is that we were going to try to do whenever it was that we were going to do whatever training we were going to do. And so like, it's not a, there wasn't very, very, very many people around at the time that were in that sort of right mindset. So it was good. It was good to have a partner to go train with for a while. Dude, it was invaluable to me. I mean, in my development and everything. So yeah, much appreciated. For sure. What a did you get? Did you get drafted? So tenth round was it junior year or did you stay all four? Yeah, at it Brandeis. Was a, I was. A, it was a junior, and um, so I had I had set the all time batting record in the New England Collegiate Baseball League, the NECBL, the year before. Uh, Still holds I it went, too, I think, Jimmy. I well, the kid, the kid tied it last year. Oh, okay. Kid, Honeyman from BC, he hit four twenty nine, in kind of like a you know, a shortened stint. He took a little time off, I think. Um, but yeah, he hit 429 and he had a great summer and it was cool to watch. And the announcers were, you know, talking about it during the game. Anyway, getting off of that, you know, played in the NECBL, played in the, which kind of got me into the Cape because out of division three, I wasn't just going to walk into the Cape without some sort of credential that summer before really kind of like did that for me. Like, Hey, you put a wood bat in his hands, he can still swing the bat. And then, um, you know, I kind of had a monster year in college after returning from the Cape, you know, it was, it was stupid. You know, we had the, we had the, we had the best bats of, of, of the world at the time. Um, I don't know. I think my on-base percentage was 600 and I slugged 950. It well, Jimmy, I'm looking at I'm looking at the all time Brandeis record book. Top four yeah. batting averages for career are all 97 to 2000 with you. It's you, Zoldi, Matt Patrick, right. and Dave Semini. So, like your team, and so those hit. guys were actually good. They, they, so we that was a period of time where they were we they were Coach Varney was still in his kind of his heyday. Coach Varney, uh, you know, Northeast legend, Harvard grad, drafted first in the fourth first round four times. You know, he, he had done some heavy recruiting and we had real athletes. We had eight players drafted in that period of time. So like we were not your standard issue division three squad at the time. Our pitching staff did not run out a person six, six or less. Every last one of them was B 
bigger than so you, the last. You were guys were definitely the anomaly then. Yes, I mean, it's, it we sounds like it good. with we were very good with the with the with the hitting stats when you had more than just you. You had what two or three other guys? Chris just rattled oh, off. Well, it's that's insane. the other thing is like I don't think that I have the all time um, the lifetime batting average. My roommate did, so he you know he had some injuries and and you know had had some. Um, you know, he, he just, he, he didn't have a body that was sort of built for punishment, let's say, but he could really hit, man. Good God. I learned a ton from him. <laughs> really. You know, he had one of those, he had a dad, you know, God rest his soul, who was like, he would say things to him like, uh, you know, if you meet a girl and she doesn't throw BP, you don't need to know her, you know, st- <laughs> stuff, <laughs> you know, if she, if she don't shag balls, I don't like her. <laughs> and so, so the kid grew up, I mean, his dad would have thousands of balls in his car at all times, just in case there might be a, a moment for a round of BP. So that was my roommate. Like he was, was that Zoldak? Zoldi. Yeah. So you've got a edge, Jimmy. You're at, I mean, this is up to date cause I see 2022 on here barely, yep. but you're at a career 393 and he's 384. So close. Right. But I mean like the first three years that we were there, it was pretty clear who yeah. the guy who you know, and, and then that that third year, I kind of like got myself into a, a a place and had faced some competition that he hadn't yet, and eventually surpassed him, um, as far as the batting was concerned. But it wasn't by much, and it wasn't for the most of the time there. To ch- to be quite honest, I remember him. He came down and hit with us at least a couple times, and I, eventually we started going to that like Diamond Kings place that opened up in Bristol, yes, a little bit better right. facility. He was a beast, though, uh, an intense really guy was. too, and new hitting. And and <laughs> right, and he was a Ted Williams disciple, kind of carried around the book, uh, you know, science of hitting with him, um, and you know, very very knowledgeable, way ahead of his time. I mean, I shouldn't say ahead of his time, but he had already reclaimed some of the stuff that these guys are talking about now, 25 years ago. And that was kind of out of vogue at the time. And he got a little bit of a bad rap with his teammates for being selfish and swinging up and, uh, you know, wanting to hit the ball in the air. He would always say things like, listen, man, there's three outfielders, jerk. You know, in in not so many words, but like, listen, asshole. There's three outfielders. There's seven guys. There's six guys standing in the infield. Like, what do you want? What what sort of mental person wants to hit it there? And you know, the guys would razz him, and you know, you know, think that he was always super stubborn. But he was right in a lot of ways, and smart, and stubborn as shit. And he was lift and separate. Really, I mean, and he (laughs) and he was unapologetic about it. It was great. (laughs) You know, we love we love our Zoldi. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. well, I, I was just thinking about, um, you know, you're talking about you, you came back as a better hitter because you faced better competition. Yeah. Um, and then obviously you get you get picked up in the 10th round, you get into pro ball. But tell me, yep. tell me a little bit about again, because I, I don't know you like Chris knows you, what type of hitter were you? Were you and I'm saying what type of hitter? I was a guest hitter when I played. I felt like I outsmarted the pitchers or at least I would just be looking for something and I would just go for it. And, you know, I was pretty good at guest hitting. And I'd react here and there, but some people are like, oh no, I just reacted the whole time. Or nowadays, I feel like everyone's a guest hitter. Yeah, with I, how I mean, fast guys are, are 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 pitching. But I mean, tell me a little bit about the approach. I I mean, so you know, it obviously changed over the course of time with 
and it changed more with the demands that were kind of placed on me, the things that I was capable of cheating on and the things that I was un- incapable of cheating on. And I knew that, you know, if, if I did that, I was going to get my doors blown off. So like, the, honestly, the, the, my period of time at the Cape was, you know, it was very formative in that sort of way. And I didn't have the greatest of summer. I was coming off a big eye surgery that, that year I, I, I had, uh, had a acute blowout fracture in my left orbital. They call it a boot fracture. And basically my, my, my left, my face got powdered April 22nd of my sophomore year, you know? Um, so go, going into that following year that, or th- that summer at the Cape, um, I was not fit. I hadn't played in three months. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I hadn't thrown a ball, hadn't took a round of BP and, you know, they knew that eventually my face would heal, but no other fitness had happened since April. And we were, you know, yeah. there in June and July. So that's a nice little period of like yeah. zero, zero things happening and including a, you know, a giant maxillofacial surgery. So that period of time getting into the pitch selection, like, so when I was there, it was like, we would go to wear him and it was Ben sheets you know, oh, and, sheets. Yeah, yeah. right. And so I'd get up against Ben sheets and Ben sheets would strike me out three times and I'd feel really bad about it. And I'd go back and I'd be like, all right, well maybe this game's not for me. So, so we, so that very same series with the Wareham Gateman, it was Barry Zito. So, so oh, like, another, you know, just, so just like Cy Young winner friggin- after a Cy yeah. Young award winner. And then we would go to like Chatham and it would be Kyle Snyder. Uh, you know who's the pitching coach for who's he pitching coach for now maybe red sox i think he's a red sox pitching coach probably the red sox are terrible so uh, six, was he good six eight ninety nine <laughs> with a sinker you know you okay. know what i mean and, yeah, yeah. and so yeah. like that was the first time i remember like getting up and i remember thinking to myself you know hit, all right there's a fastball and i would swing and i would chop it into the third base you know coaching box and i'm sitting there going to myself like why can't what the hell's going on like i don't even realize i never paid attention to sinkers or sliders or nobody's sinker was that good to where it even mattered right and then all of a sudden i couldn't hit it fair for four straight at bats and i was just kind of like wow well this sucks you know and yeah you know we we faced some 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 of the guys that were there were, were really really amazing household names um jj putz was on my team he was a closer for the seattle mariners yep yeah. Um, so like, you know, those are just a few of the names from that, that sort of year. And the biggest prospect of the summer was a kid from Clemson, um, and mass mass from Massachusetts. I can't think of his name right now. I'll think of it in a second, but anyway, he was throwing 103. And so everybody loved him and he was, ended up being a first round pick of the Orioles and blew out. So nobody ever really heard of this guy, but he was the hype of the summer. And one of the most talented people that anybody had ever really come across. So I had that experience of, you know, 99 first round picks only every single day and, and coming off a surgery. And it, so it was hard. And I, you know, I don't know. I hit 250. I didn't by 200 points, didn't do what I did the summer before. Um, but I learned a lot about like what I was capable of doing and what I wasn't capable of doing. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, 
I had to be guessing at Sheets is 99 because if I looked for the 84 mile an hour yakker and 99 came, I was going to die. Yeah. You know, it was, you know, yeah. I was, it was going to, he was going to, you know, cause he was also a fierce competitor, you know, like he was not yeah. pulling any punches. You, so he was throwing up in it. I remember him back when he was brewers, yeah, right? That's yeah. where he had most of his career. He was just, yeah. you know, up and in, not giving a Amazing. shit. Right, <laughs> right, right. Just out there being a bulldog. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I just remember, I remember coming back and, and everything looked like it rolled by comparison. It was like slow motion. Yeah. And so, and you know, the, the guys that were throwing 86 that were giving everybody else kind of fits, it was like, listen, man, I'll, I'll bare hand that if you want me to, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll catch that with, you know what I mean? That's a change up. And w- what are we talking about here? And so I, I knew what I could cheat with and I knew, and I saw different pitches as just lesser than at that point yeah you know if you were going to come in and be a lefty and throw 88 it was going to get demolished so such a good such a good feeling yeah, and i'm getting like baseball. excited listening to him talk about it no. <laughs> you know no. let's go so i was able to i i mean i could put a number on it for you i was able to kind of like read and react up until about 92 or 93 and still get contact so i would do that in kind of settings where I was trying to get runners over or trying to, you know, get runners in when it was a, was a meaningful, you know, all I needed was contact, some sort of contact. It, I couldn't have a swing and a miss. It might not be quality contact, but I could get it on both the slider and the fastball or foul a fastball up here, mm-hmm. you know, up to about 92 or 93. Once it got past that, it, it was going to be one over the other. I was going to ho- go ahead and stick my shoulder in there and sit soft. Or I was going to sit dead red and miss big. And yeah. hopefully I guess right one out of the three times and belt one. Or at least give it a full pass. I, I, I call it a full pass. Um, but yeah. then What do you mean? Like swing through full pass? Like no, like, swing- like a full balanced all the way grunter hack. You know, I call that, you you know what I mean? Like you're all the way on balance. The, the bat goes just, you know, as fast as you want it to go. Now swinger hit, not saying that you, you actually hit it, but you get the full, no reaching, you know, no lunging involved, you know, back behind it. So like, I, I would say that there's, there's gotta be educated guessing as as the as the pitcher forces you to kind of like do things that you might not ordinarily have to do because yeah. he's talented and out there being good i honestly never never guessed like not not never there's probably a few times where i'm like all right you know curveball or whatever i'm sitting it but at least like the level we played at i felt like cuz very few guys were over 92 you know right. in, in uh in the D one conference that we were in. And honestly, even, even if we faced the guy that got to 95, I felt like given the, the level of competition, he felt like he could blow that by anybody. And I'm just going to sit on it. He's going to throw me one right. and I could hit that if I'm ready for it. But that's kind of like that next level of hitting in my opinion is where like you actually are playing the mind game each time and are, are having to like literally sit on a certain pitch. And if it's not that pitch, you're either just taking it and looking like a fool. Cause it's a fastball down the middle and you're sitting slider. Or you're going to swing big and miss like you said, Jimmy. So, right. Yeah. Right. And, and I was okay with some swing and miss. I, you know, struck out a hundred times in, in a season and it was always close to one-to-one walks and strikeouts, but 
I wanted, I, I, I had a, and the guys today talk about it, high impact contact, you know, and barrel, so like barrel it up, barrel rate and all that yeah, shit. So type what, thing. Well, like, so like what would the, like the weighted on base average stuff that these guys are really big into these days, because, you know, not all balls in play are created equally, you know, mm-hmm. um, a double is worth more potential runs than a single and a single more than a walk. So walk's not the same as a hit. Um, so like when I needed contact, I knew what I needed to do to get contact. You know, you're in a tight game and what that one run matters late in the game versus kind of like, listen, I want to change this game and, and sit on a curveball and hit a three run homer in my first or second at bat and, or just keep that guy honest because he keeps on thumbing me. Uh, you just go up there and you, and you just l- make them think twice because mm-hmm. you're not going to win every you're not going to win every time, but you can make him think twice about what it is that he's trying to do. Yeah. Absolutely. So I, I don't know about guessing. I I would say educated guesses. Yep. That's fair. Maybe, maybe that's, maybe I'm dumbing down how I was a hitter. Maybe yeah. I was educating. I think, guessing because, I think you probably had a more educated guess, right? Yeah. Cause Chris, to your point, I mean, I mean, when I was going up there, seeing a lefty throwing like 85 and he's had a big hook, yeah, you're not. I'd be like, <laughs> I just say I'm guessing he's going to throw me the hook. I'm like, he's probably going to throw me a freaking curveball to get it over on this first at bat or first pitch. And I'm just going to sit on it and hit it to right center. Like, of course I could react to the 85 if it was just like, Oh, it's not the curveball, Right. Um, but when I did lead off for a little while, I, I guess you didn't, you wouldn't call me a guess hitter. Cause I was swinging first. Pitch Every time it didn't matter. We'd be <laughs> taking bets in the dugout. Like you think he's actually going to take this pitch to lead the game off? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think, I think I took one one time and heard the whole bench. Oh, like someone lost, everyone lost, everyone lost money except for one person. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man. So, so yeah, I would say educated guessing and, and a lot of the, the modern, the modern metrics and especially with like the advent of rap Soto and TrackMan and, and the high speed cameras that these guys, the, the pitch design that these guys are doing these days. I mean, it's really amazing. <sighs> The American Pitching Association came out recently and kind of with research that says that, you know, curveballs aren't necessarily or even remotely as stressful as throwing a fastball is on your UCL. So a lot of those myths have been dispelled. The pitch ratios every single year for the past five years has been has included more off speed pitches, which generally kind of like throws a wrench in what my plan used to be. Because mm-hmm. I used to, I used to be able to play some percentages and play some poker out there a little bit, and you know, take I would take my odds, you know, like all right, well he's back up against the wall, he likes his fastball, well here here it comes. Uh, whereas these guys today, they're they're doing at least thirty percent, you know, sliders, and in the yeah. mid and mid and high twenties, changeups, which puts the fastball at forty tops. Mm-hmm. And so, so like, you know, it's a, it's a coin flip at best these days. And probably it's, it's trending towards thirds really. Well, you, you, you make an interesting point there. Um, one of my favorite pitchers, probably like six, seven years ago, and he's actually having a pretty good year, um, coming back, Corey Kluber. Okay. Um, he, he threw, you know, slider, cutter, curveball slur he threw like five different types miles per hour 
horizontal, vertical break. Right, right. I mean, like he'd you'd go up there and he'd have a righty up and he'd throw six pitches, all breaking balls of some sort, with all six different planes and six different speeds. And I'm thinking right. to myself, what the fuck, man? I would have no chance trying to hit yeah, that yeah. today. Like, <laughs> oh my god. The the thing is, is that the, the, you bring up an excellent point because a lot of the pitchers now are saying like unless the planes that you're picking right um are demonstrably different and the spin rates and the velocities are demonstrably different from one pitch to another i mean you could call it a slider and you could call it a slurve but if it's got the same pitch profile and and horizontal and vertical breaks it's only different it's it's a distinction without a difference and so a lot of these guys are are really purposefully designing a repertoire that tunnels and 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 splits, uh, you know, very yeah. very on purpose, more on purpose now than ever. Um, there was an article uh, just the other day that I read about little leaguers and how I th- I'm trying to think if it was from Rapsodo or if it was from Driveline can't remember right now but basically how like you know coaches for a long time in little league were talking to talking about the change up you know they want to teach mm-hmm. the kid the change up because it's safer for the arm and we all know that's not true but um also a sinker of it from a 12 year old and a four seam fastball on a 12 year old and a change up from a 12 year old have almost identical pitch profiles they can't get it to move any differently yeah because they they because of a variety of reasons, but they it, it's essentially the same pitch. So all you're doing is just calling it something different and throwing a fastball with yeah. with your middle two fingers instead of your other you know instead of your pointer and your it's so there's so many myths being dispelled these days. It's it's really really fantastic. I, I'm in my glory. This is to me this is the glorious age of baseball right now. You yeah. love it. So I mean, you were, I I always thought you were like a cerebral player and like approached the game in like a scientific way. I guess is the right way to say it. Like you wanted to know like why something happened, not just like results are a result. You wanted to know like how you got there. I feel like you were always tinkering a little bit with your stance and your swing. So I get why you're saying that right now with respect to like where we're at with all the data and everything. Do you think though, as a product, as like a consumer of it, like watching the games, is it better from your point of view right now? <sighs> So, all right. So I'm going to answer selfishly first because, you know, I had a lot of coaches that were kind of like, Hey man, see it and hit it, man. (laughs) You know? And, and you know, that was, I mean, we've had enough of a conversation to where you might understand that that was, that was disconcerting to me. That was like, well, what do you mean that that, there's more, there's gotta be more, bro. Like just because you don't know there's not more or you're not interested in learning that there's more, there's gotta be more. So selfishly for me, this is all those old wives' tales being dispelled. As a casual fan, right, as a, as, as a general consumer of baseball, I think, I think people who actually love baseball and always really did actually love baseball are, are on board. Yeah. You know, they're 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 generally on board. It's the people who kind of like It's a fringy fan, let's be honest. No, I I, I, think, I don't I, I see them more as like baseball hoarders. They thought that baseball was just for them because they had X, Y, or Z experience 
uh, um, it's almost like it's it's almost like you know they they used they they would get they would gain some sort of identity from knowing or believing that they knew something that somebody else didn't, and those people have been usurped, and they cannot stand it. And that's, um, that's an interesting perspective. Yeah, I like and, that. And so the, the, uh, those people have have largely been left in the dust in in a variety of ways. Now, there's a couple. I think that there's still room for some of these things to get worked out as far as the, the metrics are concerned and to what degree and which ones um, you're going to use. But but empirical data never goes away. No. So you can always relook at it in the, it, you know, now that you've got a stranglehold on it, you're going to finish it off. You know, you're yeah. going to get the tap. It might be five years, it might be 10 years, but you're going to get the tap. And these people are going to have to adjust or they will become irrelevant. Um, so I would say that, you know, there are people that I know that Chris knows that we've come across in our in our times that that are really really heavily um threatened by by the the idea that somebody else might have knowledge that they don't and that they might have to to humble themselves and learn something new uh so that's been very hard for a large group of my baseball peers who some of whom are still holding on they're still holding on, you know, and there right. are a lot of different ways to win, but there is such thing as optimal. And yeah. It's been, you know, the, the more that stranglehold is in and it's only going to get more so. So I think that the people who actually really love baseball and really do want to show a kid, you know, how to have a better time playing baseball, they're in. You can't do it in any other way. Yeah, you can't not be it. at this point if you're trying to, especially if you're in a the situation where you're trying to teach your own kid or teach other kids or coach kids. Right. What are you going to do? Do them a disservice and teach them the way you were taught 20 years ago and you know that there's a better way? Like you're not, they're, they're not going to be sending you kids anymore to teach at that point, right? If they realize right. that that's what you're doing. So you kind of have to change or you're out. I, I mean, the only, the, 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 the only people now, there are, there is still like an element of talent to this whole thing. Right. So like big, strong, fast, yeah. fit people do well generally. Right. Yeah. And unless you're a fat hitter, Jimmy, unless you're a fat hitter, those right, guys, right. <laughs> love fat hitters. I ha- my, my roommate was one of those, but like, so More like, power to him. so, so I think that in some ways, like that, that will, those t- kids are always going to do great pretty much anyway. Um, but the, the one thing that does come with this is like, there's a mentality behind all of this too. And, you know, so the families who are willing to dedicate themselves and, you know, promote dedicating their children are, if they're very serious about it, it, it won't matter. They'll figure it out along the way, some way in spite of poor technical coaching or lack of tools. Um, that mentality of, of this is important to me probably wins more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. Chris, coming back to your question, when you say like, Hey, as if the product today, I mean, from my perspective, I'll have the conversations with people like, Oh, you know, three, 
three outcomes, strikeout, homer, whatever. And it's like, yeah, 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 I'll have the conversation. But in my mind, every time I'm watching it, I'm like, you guys have no idea what this 98-mile-an-hour two-seamer, the guy just dotted seven times on the outside plate, is like. And like, you have no idea what that Giancarlo Stanton stayed back on a slider a foot and a half off the outside part of the plate and hit it 400 feet to right field. It's like... I don't know how to explain it, but I'm so intrigued by like every pitch. Yes. And obviously the games within the game that do I watch a game from first inning to the end regular season? No, I don't. I bounce around. I watch a lot of different games with the MLB package and all that shit. But I'm so intrigued when I'm watching it. Like I'm watching this one at bat. I want to see this guy hit. I want to see this pitcher and I'll get into it for 10 minutes and I'm totally invested. So for me, like, you know, and I feel like there's a lot of people like that. Chris, I imagine you are. Jimmy, it sounds like, you know, you're the student of the game as well. Like you, you love that shit. And there's still a lot of people out there that do love it. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy hit the nail on the head when, like, he said, if you love baseball, you're going to essentially always love baseball. The game can only change so much unless there's some crazy rule change that we aren't even contemplating right now. Right. But I think the people that complain now, maybe they are fringe fans, Jake. And I'm not trying to be on like a, a high horse saying you had to play baseball or even play it at a high level to no. really love the game and understand the game. But the, the constant complaint I see is like, there's no bunting. There's no hit and runs. You really want to tune in and just see more bunts? Like, what excitement is that adding to the game? Yeah, there's more walks now. There's more strikeouts now. But to your point, you're watching these guys take 98, two inches off the plate. That's that's insane to just watch that pitch and that take, especially on like a one-two count. Yeah. I think about that all the time. Like, how, how do you possibly take that pitch? <laughs> like, how do you even yep. get to the point where you learn the strike zone that closely because that's a strike in college like i'm swinging at that like there's just so much to it um i think the product's fine i'm really interested to see where the rule changes go you know in the coming years and how it maybe morphs in terms of is there going to be more offense and things like that but listen baseball's always been a regional regional sport uh sort of the nation tunes in in the playoffs or in the world series depending on the matchup it's never going to be monday night football you know it isn't yeah yeah I mean, I thought it was, I thought as far as, as far as other kind of pieces, I know the rule changes are kind of irking some of my more traditional buddies. I like yeah. the idea of a bigger base. I really do. You can't possibly have the, the guys running on the inside, you know, because the baseline says you have to do that, which takes you right into the middle of the base and then avoid contact. That's that, that, that's a bizarre, you, you should, you got to give the runner a place to run. Um, you know, fair and foul calls come into question if you fix that, you know, with the double base or, um, I think that, I think that the, the rule changes, I, have we changed subjects here to rule changes? Yeah, we're we just can. transitioning. Uh, okay. <laughs> Let's right. go, man. Let's All go right. with it. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I think that the shift, like banning the shift, I think is crazy. I, you can't be drawing lines on the field. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, I'm, 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 I'm for the. Sh- you know, go ahead, move the mound back a foot if you want to. If you, if you, you know, if you want to make the base bigger, cool. You want to institute instant replay. I'm a big fan of that. Even robo umps, the, that stranglehold is is, you know, it's just a matter of time. I was going to ask you about doing- that. What do you what do you think about that though? Like, are you? Think I think it's about time that yeah. the umpires have been put into check because you mean like you don't, you don't think Angel Hernandez is a top quality umpire out listen, there. Listen, <laughs> listen, you don't even know. Like, I mean, in the mid nineties, go watch a Greg Maddox 
start oh, I know. in I know. the mid nineties or Galavin start. Like it would be an, a foot off. Yeah. I mean like inch, like half of, of off the plate. And because he stuck the glove, he's getting the call. Like that yeah. was happening up until only recently where these yeah. guys start the, the high strike was not a thing. They, these guys have been made to call it now because that's what the rules say. And so the strike zone has kind of done this a little bit, but also this a little bit. Yes. Yeah. So I think, I think overall it's smaller. Um, overall it's smaller than it used to be area wise, but I, it was harder to hit because there was more variability. But, yeah, um, yes. back in back when the umpires were checked less. So Jimmy Robo, it's interesting the fact that you you kind of are, are down for it because that I get it. Like, hey, yeah, Glavin's throwing the ball, you know, foot off the plate. I feel like there's got to be a little bit of a compromise where, like, the Robo and the umpire, like, the umpire still obviously got to be there in my mind, but like it can overturn before. Like, I don't know. I don't know how that would even. Yeah, be. yeah. I'm just kind of so, in my head right saying it now. It doesn't make any sense. So I don't know. I, I would I would even just I wouldn't do it every pitch because again I think that I think that you're in a cer- cer- circumstance where umpires are anywhere between ninety five and ninety seven percent accurate at this point. You know, which mm-hmm. is really I don't know. I think it's amazing if you've ever umpired. That's incredible. A game, it's really really yeah. good. So it's not like these guys are all over the place in in the modern game you know, considering they have to go home and they have to look at that box and they have to look at their track man report. And it's going to say, you know, this one, this one, and this one where Johnny was mad, you missed them. But, but I think that there are certain, maybe even if it was just a challenge play. Oh, that would be incredible. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Three, two, umpire calls ball. They go back and review it. He's yeah, right. So, like, you get ten balls and strikes challenges yeah. a game. I, I mean, I was thinking, I was just thinking one, one, maybe two. You yeah. know, just like they do the regular. You know, like if if you want to be, I like that idea. You know, you can do a chat. You can. I, I I don't exactly know the the nuts and bolts of it, but I would want the one that was like bases loaded. You know, I you know. Some sort of the umpires sort of, making a statement type call. Yeah, like, yeah. Like no! I would, I would like, want, I, I would want to have, I would want to have veto power over Angel Hernandez being an asshole. Yeah, you yeah. know, just just deciding to be a jerk someday. He, they just need to be checked in that way because most of the time it's pretty clear. I don't think that they are. Yeah, you know, they do miss. They do miss, but I actually like that could be a nice compromise for the robo umps. You know, everyone's all up like you see all the articles now are like the umpire, oh my god, there's robo umps and again the traditionalists are like, This is insane. Um, that might be a good compromise where it's like we already have the track man or whatever we see it, like there's a pitch and they immediately show the replay, like within one second, and it's like, Oh, that was a strike. It could just be, yeah, you get three of these a game. Uh, you know, the coach just throws his arm up there, he's like, Hey, yeah, I want to challenge that one. And it's like, No, you're right, that was a ball. Ball four, you know, like it's that quick. It's not going to slow the game down. Like, what are you talking about? Five seconds, right? Come on. Right. That it should be quick. And just like, just like, like the instant. Re- what? What was yeah. it? It was because of the Jim Joyce call in what 2010 or 2011 that ruined Galarraga's uh, perfect game, where 
they finally said, all right, we have the technology to, to review this. Let's use it. We have to do this now. That was a travesty. We can no longer have travesties. And that would be my aim too. Yeah. Eliminate, eliminate the travesty. And if you can eliminate the travesty, I can deal with imperfection. Yeah. You know so I mean? the only thing that I see being bad about straight robo umps, and I like the idea of maybe a few challenges or a few instances in a game. Obviously, the umps, even though they are insanely accurate now, like they really are. If you watch a game, those guys are getting right. most of these calls, right? It's the ones, though, at the top and bottom of the zone. You get that slider at the bottom of the zone that might cross at the knees, but the catcher's catching it, you know, at the shins. That's yes. a ball for the most part, right? But if you challenge that one, it's a strike. And same thing with the curveball or, yeah, yeah, you know, the something ball, that crosses the, the up and actually just, catches the top. Right. Those are the ones that ball. if you challenge yeah. that and it's overturned because it technically, you know, nicked the zone, uh, I could see a little bit of a revolt there just because that's <laughs> never really been a strike. But right. I, I don't know. But those are the ones. Those are those. Those are the, the tough ones. Top and bottom of the zone on the breaking stuff, in my opinion. I, I watched agree. Tim Anderson last you. night. Yeah. Same dude, that exact pitch. It was a ninth inning. He had a man on second trying to trying to get a go ahead run. And the guy threw a shitty like a backup curveball. I mean, top of the zone. It was absolutely awful, but it was in the box. And Tim Anderson looks back like that's not that's not strike. He looks back and the guy rings him up and he literally just is like throws his hat or his helmet, throws his bat and he's just smiling. And the umpire's just like and he's just like, this is insane. Like that ball was literally at my neck and it literally looked like it was at his neck. You would never swing at that a million years. Right, right. That's a tough one. To me, to me, like as a. I, as a batter, I'll too, I'll, I'll too bad so sad my batters o- over that one because you know if if yeah. if you're not in a two strike frame enough to where you can fight off a backup breaking ball, I don't want to hear it from you. You're being a wimpo, and so <laughs> you you know what I'm saying. So like yeah. I, I I have no sympathy for for that particular pitch that Chris is talking about, and I agree. There's more. <laughs> There's more like I don't know what I don't know why there's mutinous gripe over over that sort of pitch, but there is and there would be, I believe. Yeah. Um, and I think it's probably because the batters. This is the only thing I can come up with, is that the batters know, the players know, the, even the fans probably know that he did not intend to do that. Yeah. Uh, under most circumstances that that is not that was that ball squirted out the side of his hand it was a complete and utter accident it wasn't down in a way where you intended it to be and you're getting rewarded for throwing a shitty pitch and so i think that's the kind of visceral feeling i get from that i can't be sure of that but that's yeah. the feeling i get i'm actually more concerned though like say it went straight robo wump and those sl- those those sliders that nick the bottom of the zone crossing the plate, but actually are caught at the shins are called strikes. We already know how good pitchers are rap Soto tinkering with pitches. Like these guys are going to perfect that pitch <laughs> to where it's got downward break and it's just catching the bottom of the zone. It's that's pretty much unhittable in my opinion. I mean, two strikes to your point, Jimmy, you should be able to foul it off maybe, but if you're getting, well, I don't know one, if it's the down and away one, but the up in the end one, I would yeah, say, correct. You know, it's close to you. Uh, yes. But the down and away one, I mean, to me that that's a, that's a, I wouldn't shame my batters for that. I yeah. would shame my batters for the for for the balls that are up and in that they're that they're not covering because they're not they're not being tough. But if you get carved, then just go put your helmet down. Yeah. 
I wouldn't I wouldn't chastise them though. In the yeah. same. What sort do you of think way. of the? <laughs> uh, I guess I guess I'm an idiot for bringing up Tim Anderson then. Um, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, what I'm, do you think of the? What do you think of the? Um, when I was watching a the Atlantic Coast League game a few years ago, they they were doing all these kind of new rules. Like the te- they were like the test league, right? Right. Yeah. Um, the, the no pickoffs. <sighs> that one, I was like, I, do they have? I a, literally was. At do the they game. have a limit as to how far you can lead? No. No, there was just no pickoffs. Can the you pitcher sp- could not throw over. Can you? Sp- All he could do is just, just you just wait a lot longer, or just like quick pitch. Like you just had to time your rhythm, or like not time your rhythm. Yeah, but if you can't pick off, and someone could just literally, like you could step off. All right. Okay. And then, like, right, like you couldn't pick off though. Got it. I thought that one. I, I think that's silly. That one. I remember the, one of the pitchers came in. A guy got stolen on like four times, and he's like, just he literally was just like, yeah. I don't know what to tell you guys. Like, I've been varying my times like six different varying times, and like the guy has a twenty foot lead. What the fuck you want me to do? Yeah, I I think that that I think that's just like the like banning the shift. It's overboard, competitively. Speaking, you know, I I just think it's overboard. I think that you should be able to pick over and try to get an out. If a guy is willing to get off the base, I need to have recourse. That's all. Yeah, yeah. That's that. That's all. And 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 that's the only thing that's fair. Is like if we get in the boxing ring, if I punch, you get to punch back. You can't just have one guy with one hand tied behind his back. So to me every offensive strategy has a defensive sort of answer and vice versa. And so I just feel like it's only fair that, that, that when you enter into a competition that, that you should be able to punch back. That's all. There's no, there's no way that you can hamstring the defense like that without offering the offense, some sort of collateral, you know, collateral device. I think that's silliness. And and I feel very same about like the shift. Yeah. Because yeah. like if you wanted to beat it, you could beat it. You, you could definitely beat it. <laughs> if you, you, you know to. what I mean? Yeah. If you wanted to beat it, you can beat it. And and I know like it's people will say things like, uh, you know, you'll hear announcers, well, it's not as easy as you think to put down a bunt on ninety five, and that's true. However, Sacrifice bunts are 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 executed at a very very high rate, more than three hundred, more than thirty percent of the time, probably more than sixty percent of the time. So if you're telling yeah. me that that's a possibility and that's the that's the sort of caliber and um, magnitude of effect that you could get to beat the shift, that that I don't want to hear that ninety five is hard. You wouldn't even have to be successful that often. Like if someone like Gallo did it twice. And even if he if he was two for five on it, like he just came up and like did a little slash or a little slap down the the third baseline. They probably would still shift him in a lot of spots, but they think twice with a guy in second or something like that, you know, where it really is going to matter. I mean, you'd only have to show it a few times that you're capable of it. And they'd they'd stop or at least stop to the degree that they're doing it against a lot of these guys. I don't even think I don't even think you have to slash slap it. I mean, pitchers are athletes. Don't get me wrong. It doesn't have to be. But good. yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't ha- you could literally show it and just you know just like you're like just show it and get it out there. There's no way I would say nine out of ten times the pitcher unless he's sliding 
then going to have to throw off balance. It's going to be a hit almost every, if the pitcher even can get to it in my mind, just, just get it down, show it a little bit earlier than instead. These guys are always like, they're literally trying to like show it at the last second. And you're like, dude, you don't need to do that. There's literally nobody on the left side. Right. Yeah. It's, there's no, there's absolutely. So to me, like an unwillingness to bunt does not constitute cause for the defense to not have to do what they have to do. I, I just, that, yeah. you well know put. what I mean? That, to me, like that's just an unwillingness. And, uh, you know, like you, like Chris said, what would be the magic number of trials, successful trials to where it, the cost benefit is no longer worth it to to shift. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and God forbid, Joey bet Gallo hits over 200 for a year. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, like, like you can't, you know, that's for, for a guy like me who was kind of like on the edges of a major league uniform, you know, hitting actual, you know, hitting 280, hitting 300, hitting 20 homers and driving in 80 or 90 runs. That is that that's a little bit upsetting to, to particularly like guys like me that are crying in their beer over not making it to the major lakes. You know, you, <laughs> I see this guy, he can't hit 160 for for consecutive years and he's such a fabulous talent you know he's fast he's strong he throws 105 miles an hour you know put it together you know you know, man or if or if he won't put it together then find someone else who can go ahead and hit 250 and get his 20 home runs just the same yeah so like i don't know i i just i, I think that some of the rule changes that they're planning on instituting are a little bit silly, and some of them I think are are kind of necessary. Yeah, I really liked. I don't know if you guys saw this. If I don't, I don't want to do too much segueing from from my seat here. But, yeah, go um, on. <laughs> um, but uh, I really liked the chatter. I don't know what you guys thought. I really liked the oh, chatter yeah. between Nestor and Loved Trevino it. during during the All Star game. Loved what, what's it. your take? What's your take on that, Chris? I don't. I don't think you can have pitchers mic'd up during a game. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe some would be okay with it. I think pitchers are just too crazy to to ever agree to that. But like I've loved listening. It's been Sunday night baseball where they've had the players mic'd up during the game on defense. They're they're trying to like you know gain viewership, get more interest in the sport. That's one of the best ways to do it. Like you're just inside the head of these guys while they're in the field on a major league game in a game that matters. More of that. Like. Mike, the first baseman up, give me the conversations with the guys that yes. get the first. Like, yeah. I'm sure you're gonna have to censor that stuff somehow, but like, give me more just insight. I want to hear what Dude. the pitching coach is saying to the pitcher on a mound visit. I want all that to the extent they'll allow it. I think it's right. amazing. I, I, I don't know, man. I liked, I liked it. I, I don't know if you'll be, like you said, I don't know if you'll be able to get the catcher and the pitcher, but, but f- for sure the first baseman. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, how fun would that be? Or the first base coach? Yes. Even. Just, uh, what do you think, Jake? No, I love it. Listen, it's like NFL films. Like, how much? Um, I don't even know how many hours I'll admit to like just binging the NFL films for like you know on YouTube. And you're like, oh, this one's a thirty minute clip. Now I'll just watch a couple minutes. <laughs> yeah. and you know, I'm like six deep in of just <laughs> we, random conversations with these guys on the sidelines, yeah. and I love football. Not as much as I love baseball. Uh, so if you gave me that in baseball, dude, I'd be all over it. Especially if you all could figure over. out a way to do it live while you're wa- while you're watching. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah. 
And, and really, like, I mean, I've watched, like Chris said, uh, you know, a lot of times they put it in the, the mic in the ear of an outfielder. And, yeah. you know, a lot of the time, like, they're not doing nothing. <laughs> they're yeah. just, they're right. just standing there anyway. I haven't, I, I saw, I think I saw Verdugo make one play um, where, and, and I'm not even sure he made the play, but he had to back up a play and kind of maybe pick up a ball off the wall and huck it into the cutoff man or something. Yeah. Like there's no, you know, like that, how much of the competitive integrity are you really costing yourself there compared to the viewership that you would, you know, when weighed against the viewership that you would add for, you know, I mean, I loved it because I was able to show my sons, like watch him each pitch, every single pitch he gets ready, even though he's sitting there bullshitting. You know, yeah. and every single time he's like, he takes a one moment and then he's back and it only takes that long, but you have to do that in order to get ready and be, be in the right posture to move right away. Even on foul balls, they would, they would make a, make a false move. So you get to say that too. So I don't know. I thought it was a great teaching tool as much as anything else. No, I, I thought it. the Cortez thing was awesome where like he's talking to the catcher throwing a curveball down. He's like, no, 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 let's go fastball away. Like it's just a great insight. More of it, please. (laughs) So, so, so here's another one. Uh, I don't know if it's a really necessarily a rule change, but it's a strategic change catchers with the digital calling. Do you see this? Yeah. Yeah. We have, um, we hit on it a a while ago, just a A little bit. Yeah. Like I'm cool with it. Um, I'm, if they if they get into it though, like say that's a standard, I'm just waiting until like you get the first complete mess up where you know catcher presses the fastball button, but the pitcher gets the curveball button and it's a complete cross up. Like I could see that happening. A total inside but hack job. I'm cool with it. Like yeah. when we played at Siena, we had the whole catcher with the wristband, coaches throwing down three signs, catcher had to decipher the sign. It was like 15 seconds between each pitch. Like speed it up. I'm good with it. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that most guys are going to ultimately prefer regular old signs. I, I think that it's just goofy and, and that it, it's kind of like a, a beta tested technology that doesn't quite have the momentum. It's not easy enough to try. It's not fundamentally better. Um, you know what I mean? Like kind of those, those, those reasons why a technology would be dispersed or wouldn't. Same sort of thing here. I think that I think that ultimately it's easier to put down the old number one and say, "Let's ride." Yeah. You know what's yeah. funny about it is like the guys that are doing it, they still look in, like they're looking for a sign, <laughs> but there's just no sign, and then they're like they're back in it. <laughs> they're just like so conditioned to it. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And then Scherzer, Scherzer just recently, I think he came out. You know, I think uh, he was like, that's nah, bullshit. Stupid. We shouldn't be doing it. He's like, you should be able to. I think he said something along the lines of being able to have complex signs is like shows the intelligence of the catcher and the pitcher. And if, <laughs> yeah. and if you're that good to pick up those signs as a God hitter at second base you. or whatever, yes. good for you. And I'll, yep. I agree with that. I'm like, right now, should you have barrels, you know, and, and cameras and all that stuff with the Astros and whatever? No, of course not. But like we always prided ourselves after stealing size with second base and someone's doing something, letting you know, tell you direction. Yeah. And or like, even just being, or even just being, you know, game enough to have 
players on your team that are smart enough to hang with signs that can't be deciphered or you're good and slick enough to not give signs that are easily dis- you know what I mean that you're generally yeah. good at it um and I mean to me it's it's a there's selective pressure there I mean I've I've played with guys I've played with guys who are really just not intellectually fast enough or maybe bright enough in some ways <laughs> that, that yeah. they you know that we really couldn't mess with anything silly it was here comes number one because that's the sign he knows and we couldn't do anything we couldn't put a pickoff play on when he was out there we couldn't change up the sign we couldn't pitch out we couldn't do anything really strategic because he was out there to just throw fuzz and literally had no other capacity to do anything else (laughs) So, yes. so to me, like that is a, that is an imposition against the competitive spirit of people who are playing. There's craft to this, I think. So uh, yeah, I, one of the aspects, and I'm sure this is much less in the bigs, I could be wrong, but I was never one when I was on first or second to try to get the signs for the batter's benefit, because honestly, like there's not enough time. Like we've talked about this, Jake, right? Yeah. I use it all the time, though. If I if I was on first, get get a little bit extra of a lead to where I could see an extra finger from the catcher, knowing it was off speed. I'm stealing. Yeah, like right. I, I'm stealing on the off speed. I'm not stealing on the fastball. And same thing when I was on second. I used to love stealing third. I felt like I could get more momentum going, like a bigger lead. If I saw what I figured was an off speed pitch, especially with the catcher setting up outside against yeah. a, a righty, yeah, I'm taking off because. Catcher's going to be reaching away from his body, away from third base, in the dirt, have to come all the way back to throw. And the if you take the signs away, it's going to be much more difficult. Like, those are just such right. little things, but I got a competitive edge off that in right. certain instances. Yeah. And that's because you have, the mind of, you have the mind of a lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, I mean, like, let's be real. And and so... How like, can I get the edge? <laughs> yeah. So, so but, 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 but to me, that's a great equalizer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it it means that everybody can play baseball. And and if you're not careful, somebody's going to take advantage of you yep. because you're on display of, at all times. So I think that some of that stuff like banning a pickoff to me, like that's that that, yeah. that seems crazy. It's an imposition of, uh, against the spirit of competitive play. I I just I I I find it like like I don't like if they decided to spread the base out at first base, for example, what changes about the game? Nothing. And as far as I can tell, except for maybe the half and half foul ball, the one that hits yeah, the fair play side and the foul play side at the same time. Other than that, all you're doing is is making the game safer, like tangibly safer. And, and really, even just logically saying, like, you have to run here, the play can happen here, and there's a kind of like a boundary between those two things. And if you want to stop collisions, and to me, like, those collisions at home plate with Buster Posey, those are travesty plays. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that you can have a, 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 an ankle snapped in two at first base. That would be a travesty. Or, you know, that would just yeah. be a travesty to me. So I, I, I think that if it's not messing with the competitive spirit, I, then I'm then I'm cool with it. 
like even the signs like that I'm I'm a little bit against the the signs and the digital signs because there's so much to giving and getting signs. And not everybody right, can do that. Right. Not everybody can do that. Just like not everybody can hit a 500 home run. You know, not everybody can do that. So I'm I'm for that sort of uh traditionalism but only because of competitive purism. One one more question before we get into, I think we want to talk maybe quickly on superstitions, but we were talking about replay. The two things I don't like about replay, and I like almost everything about it, yep. there's two specific plays. Tag plays, guys running at second base, beats the beats the throw, but slides head first, and his hand comes off the bag for a millisecond, and the ump calls yep. him out. Like a millisecond, not, not something yep. where you'd be out before replay. And then right. ghost tags at second on double plays, where you're right in the neighborhood as a shortstop, but you maybe swipe your foot, didn't actually touch the bag, and they're calling guys safe on that now. Like, where do you stand on that? Because those to me are like almost technicality. Those two bother me yeah. too. They, they, so, but here's my here's my take on kind of all right. I'll we'll do the tag play first, right? Mm-hmm. My view on guys who come off the base while they slide is that they're bad athletes. Yeah. Okay. That means that you have so poorly timed your slide that you can no longer stay in contact with the base. That means you stink. That <laughs> means you're out. You know okay. what I'm. You know what I'm saying. So like, so like, I mean, we've all seen those big clod goofy guys who who are fast and and maybe you know are super strong, but they would dribble the ball off their knee if you took them to the basketball court, right? That that guy to me, like. He needs to. He needs to know. You're glad he's out, is what you're saying. I'm saying like, you I'm, deserve to I'm be saying, out. I'm saying you're a clod. I don't believe in you. You stink. <laughs> you know, and and I would never be able. To, I like deep down. I never really said this to anybody, but deep down inside, there was a there was that type of guy who I, I couldn't really take seriously. You know, I'm like, okay, fine, you're six five, but like, that's goofy as hell. You can't tell me that you're in a major league uniform and you can't stay on a base. So, so, or you can't like when I watch Trey Turner slide, right. And he goes into the base and he pops up and he's right on the base, perfectly balanced. And there's, and he, and he's low enough when he slides to where he would have been under tags. Mm -hmm. Right. And he starts his slide far enough to where there's an actual slide and not a freaking collision with the base. He's doing the slide for the two reasons to one, avoid the tag and number two, to slow down. He's doing the things that you're supposed to do when you slide. So if guys slide all the way by the base or risk sliding by the base to try to avoid a tag and they're out, you're out. I, I have no sympathy for that. As far as as far as like the phantom play, I, I, I mean, it's not as strong a feeling, but I, I, I feel like you need to both catch the ball and kick the bag. Mm-hmm. You, you, you need you again, if you can't do that, then you're a clod, you know, <laughs> th- then you're not maybe as slick as you thought you were. And maybe you're freaking lazy because you don't want to, you know, so, so to me, there's like a laziness to that, like a, a little bit of a laziness to that. And we were taught differently. We were taught to kind of just get on it and get off it and make it yeah. look good. Because yeah. there was an instant replay. So just make it look good. Get the tag in there. Get the tag out of there. Don't get cleated. And the same thing with 
turn and double plays, kind of yeah, like get your foot on there, get it out. Yeah, do something, do something that would be expected of the of the fans to see, and then if then in that case, like the flow of the game just naturally goes right. Any umpire who makes that call is trying to make it about him, and you always had that kind of argument, like you're a douche for doing that. You know, he was yeah. out by three steps. You know, he was out by three steps. And trying to go back on on, on a, a silly hundredth of a second timing, it, you can you, any. What's the matter? You know when they're when, when they're just putting yeah, they're, they're yeah. saying like, do the replay. Like, <laughs> we want the replay. We need the replay. You're you know, like like, oh, like no umpire. To, to, in my mind, that's the limit. That's what the limits of the technology place. It's like no umpire with their regular human vision and processing speed has the dexterity to say for sure that I missed it there. Yeah. And so all those things being equal, there's a thousand people, 10,000 people watching, you know, you want to get, you want to get lynched on the way out of here, or are you just going to call <laughs> what looks about right? Right. Right. And yeah. so like we had that sort of mechanism in the past, but now you have to actually do it, especially with the tags. And so the other thing is I think about tag plays. All right. And and the reason why I like that you actually have to tag the person um, is that tagging a person is far harder than yeah. than anybody yes. ever really in the past gave it credit for. It was I mean, I when I was playing, I would tag guys half the time. I mean, half if yeah. if if, if you get it down, show you it. Just, you just, yeah, you just kind of get it in close and proximity, <laughs> right. and there's dirt and everything. You're like, yep, got him. So to me, so to me, all that does, it doesn't make it worse. It just makes, it just makes it. Number one, you have to be good at tagging, and actually, and number two, knowing that as a base runner, you can take some more chances. Like it extends the play. It it, it makes going first to third more feasible. Uh, in 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 some in some of those plays, like putting the tag down and having to have it down, you know, makes it so like there's chance and a chance to me is exciting in baseball. That's yeah, you get exciting. like those get like those swim slides going into third yeah. or whatever yeah. that you, that you used to see. Yeah, yeah. Right. So so when a guy's athletic and you see a guy like Baez who's really a wizard you know, going into a base, you know, slide and pull, pulling his hand away and, and doing those very, very athletic and fine motor sort of things. Um, to me, that's, that's that I want to see a highlight of that. Yeah. As a fan, as a fan of the game, that's sick. I've never done it. <laughs> like I, and I was, yeah. I feel like I was a pretty good athlete and, and, you know, like I remember like my father showed me how to hook slide when at McCabe waters field on a day when it rained. And so he was like, listen, you just got to clip it with your toe. You're going to kind of like come off to the slide and, and, and you don't want to do it. Willie Mays Hayes with your legs straight out. You've got to have both legs bent and off to the side so that, so that you don't get hung up. Your cleats don't get hung up and you only get it with your toe. And so he showed me that when I was, I don't know, 11 or 12. And he, you know, old man getting a running start sliding in the field. But I remember like <laughs> I could do that and other guys could not do that. So I, you know, I could, I could do some, I, there was, I was really good at pop-up sliding and I, I, there's, there's no way I ever missed the base. I would pop up and I was 
plastic right, to the right. base. Because in my head, like that's the only place you're safe. Anywhere yeah. else, you are not safe. I mean, the kids that I coach now, they come around first base on a walk. And they are they they're head down walking around the base. I'm like, what are you doing? Oh man, what we've gotten guys doing? talking that before. Yeah, what are you doing? You just <laughs> you, you don't get to just round the base here. Like <laughs> the base is where you're safe. You silly, you you, you, you fool. Yeah. So I don't know. I I think that tag plays are super athletic. I think that slides are super athletic. I want more of it, and I think you should actually be have to complete the play. Yeah. I can tell you what, we, we can agree to disagree on some of these things, but we all agree that Trey Turner sliding is the smoothest, most like, I don't know, just like euphoric. Aesthetically pleasing. Aesthetically, right. yeah, there's so many <laughs> weird, weird ways to describe it of just like, how what? He floated on earth. Like yeah. he just like just floated for 20 feet. But you can tell, I mean, just watching that, if you played around a golf with him, it would be slick. Yeah. If you played if you played him in one-on-one you're you're gonna get crossed and because he's just a balanced and athletic person i you know at least in my view like i believe that you know whatever it is that he kind of picked up i mookie's kind of like that yeah you know what i mean yeah mookie's super slick too mookie's slick um you know if somebody told me he bowled a 300 game, I would say, yeah, I, there's no doubt in my mind that he looks like a professional bowler the first time he picks up a ball. Yep. And and he does. He's really good at it. So, yeah. like, I don't know. Some guys ha- have that thing, and it's a lot of times it's middle infielder types. Um, so if you're not that, then you don't fit the bill to me. You know, I want to, I want to, I want to make, I want to, I want to see those guys do those things. That's awesome. That's awesome. So we did want to get into superstitions before we got to our coach's corner and uh, Tales of Hennepin Hall, which we'll get you up to speed on if you haven't listened yet. All right. Superstitions, Jimmy, did you have any plan? And before you answer the question, you know, just some famous ones. I'm just going to rattle off because I thought they were pretty funny. (laughs) Uh, Wade Boggs ate fried chicken before every game. I thought he had a beer, and he wasn't he famous for his like two cases of beer on an air flight on, on a yeah, plane. That always country. that always sunny episode, the Wade Boggs. Right. <laughs> yeah, the the other we're going to two Red Sox in a row here. It just so happens, Nomar with his annoying glove thing he yep. did in between every pitch, and um, the toe tap, and the toe tap. You, you want to know the toe tap though, Jake? Do you know the reason why behind that? Apparently. Is it, do you always have bigger shoes? Yeah, like he grew up poor and he had like, you know, size shoes that were a size or a size and a half too big. So he would like, you know, jam them down to get, get his him toes in there, there yep. and just kept doing it. Love it. And like uh new age guy, Alec Manoa with the Blue Jays, I guess, wears a pair of lucky underwear every time he pitches. You know, it's, it's kind of kind of normal <laughs> ones, I guess. Um do you, did you have any plan that were unusual or play play with anyone who you were like, man, what the hell is that? And, you know, a lot of times, the, the, like, that stuff would come up. Um, like, I would never know. And then guys would tell me, I'm like, you can't be serious. That's not what you're really thinking. That's not what you're thinking with the bases loaded. You can't be serious. And, you know, so some sometimes, like, that stuff came up. It was just inexplicable. But I, I, don't, I don't think that I had... I wasn't superstitious in that, like, 
I felt like there was an unexplainable phenomenon always, like with a particular skill. But uh, I'll tell you, I, I did, I do espouse to like base, that there's baseball gods. Okay. I, I, I so like, like I, juju, like baseball juju. Yeah. So like my father and my father kind of put. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know if it's Joe Boo level, <laughs> but but I always felt like, you know, my father told me when I was little, like somebody's always watching you. You know, th- there are baseball gods, and he would tell me, he would, he would tell me, he's like, there's baseball gods, and they're always watching you. And you know, he's probably just telling this to me as a as a ten year old kid. But I, my father is is um, he's kind of a. What's the? He's a baseball romantic enough to where I actually believe that he believes that, mm-hmm. even to even to this day. And Chris knows my dad. He's yeah. a baseball romantic enough to where like he believes that if you're living right and you're and you're taking your grounders the right way every time, that, <laughs> you know you're taking your BP with seriousness and you're and you're doing and you're you're being respectful to the umpires and coaches and then shit's gonna bounce your way. Otherwise there's going to be circumstances where you're going to actually piss people off. Baseball gods are people, whatever. Um, and shit doesn't bounce your way seemingly magically, but you're just not putting it together that, that you stepped on somebody's toes in some way over the course of the time. And, um, that ends up coming back at you in a, in a kind of a negative way. So I, I do, I mean, I've been able to kind of intellectualize it a little bit. I think maybe over time it is really what that is, is like visualization because you know, yeah. there's a lot of, there's a lot of research out there about your brain really does a really bad job at determining the difference between a dream and reality. And so when you're, when you're rehearsing, and when you're and and you put your head to the pillow at night and you're thinking about baseball and you're and you're and you're always kind of like there, um, good. You, you actually do improve over the course of time and things do actually go your way, seemingly magically, even though there's probably a more down to earth explanation than that. But it was good enough for me to like heed, not try to test those waters. Over the course yeah, of there's a difference right between superstition and routine and routine's a good thing because that's getting you in the right, right frame of mind. Superstition, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head, like maybe a belief in if I don't do this, this is not going to happen. And something that isn't part of a routine to actually be good, like wearing certain underwear. Right. Um, yeah. Right. I didn't have that anything like be, that, but shouldn't yeah. be impactful in something in, in any sort of way. But I think that I would probably walk the line between the upside down and, and real and the real world. You know, yeah, all right. In, in that, in I mean, that sort of way. Hey, there's truth to the baseball gods because even if there's not baseball gods, doing things the right way is going to lead to good results. Like in any right, anything in life, you're doing things yeah. the right way. That means you're putting yourself in a position to take advantage of the lucky bounce, as opposed to not doing it. Your right. your thing about dreams and visualization, Jake. I don't know if you remember this. It might have been Macaulay, and I want to text him after we get off of this to see if he's yeah. the one that said it. He told us this story. When we were playing at Siena, I have no idea if it's true. I'm, I'm going to try to Google it after this. But he told us a story about some prisoner of war in Afghanistan or Iraq. I'm Googling it while you're talking, so keep going. Prisoner of war in Afghanistan or Iraq who was 
you know, held captive for a few years, basically like in a room, very little light, nothing, couldn't do anything. And he just passed the time by playing 36 holes a day in his head. And to the point where it wasn't just like visualizing a shot and then automatically going to the next shot, it was like he visualized taking his tee shot on hole one and walking to the ball. And he saw the birds and the trees and all this, and he'd get to the second shot. But he visualized every shot as a perfect shot, you know, so he was birdieing every hole every day in his mind, 36 holes. And he got out, uh, came back to the U.S. and allegedly played his first round of golf. And he was, you know, like me shooting in the 90s. But he shot like a 76 that day after never picking up a club because of that constant visualization. No idea if it's true. But obviously that story like stuck with me with respect to like what that part of the game is. Not only yeah. in baseball or any sport, but in like life, if you're trying to actually visualize things, I do think it can have like a really positive impact on your actual performance and whatever it is that you're doing. Yeah, I do remember that vividly him telling us. I just Googled <laughs> it. I didn't get anything, though. I just Googled pr prisoner of war Afghanistan playing 36 holes of golf pastime. Uh, I didn't really get much. <laughs> I mean, put a lot in there. The, the FBI is like this. Guy's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jake's on the list. Yeah. I'm on the list now. So um I do remember that though. And yeah, that that I hope it's true. Because that's pretty too. awesome. I hope it's Regardless, true. it's a great like folk story if it's not true. Honestly, yeah. I, I just I feel like I feel like there's there because I coach little kids now and I know that there's little boys who show up and they have been thinking about practicing all day. Yeah. And they, you know what I mean? Like they pick up our conversation right where we left off as though we didn't go home and rest or sleep or anything. They're right there with me and they have never left in their minds. Yep. They, they really never left. And honestly, I'm seeing it more longitudinally now, like being able to follow players from the time that they're eight to the time that they're 13. And I'm starting to become kind of more suspicious about exactly to what degree this is true. And maybe more so true than most would give it are currently ready to give it credit for is that they're just taking thousands of reps in their head yeah. all day. And when they yep. put their hip pillows to the sleep at night and, and they've already visualized themselves doing this a, a thousand times and there's just no substitute for that amount of volume. And so yeah. like the kids who really like it and they really want to be there, you can't keep up with them. Like the other kids, the other kids that are kind of half there and kind of half not, they, they can't possibly, they just continually diverge. You know, the, yeah, the gap gets bigger and the bigger, gap, right? The gap keeps getting bigger. And not only that, but like, so the mental gap gets bigger, but also while they're there, they're actually performing those things and actually going through the motions more appropriately every single time with a little bit more imp, uh, like intent and a little bit more. And so their muscles and their bodies and their bones, they just develop over time and they, and things change. And those, and, and to me, that's just how, how someone's, someone's attitude towards it can literally manifest their bodies into changing. Like I saw, I don't know what it was the other day. I saw a tennis player, a college tennis player's forearm, like radius and ulna, you know, and the bone density of their right side was twice the thickness of the bone density on their left side. They could just take more punishment here. 
Yeah. So imagine if that was every single tangible bone and meaningful move that you could make that is now more durable, not because of muscles you can see. It's deeper than that. It's all the way down to the mus- bones and blood. Yeah. Uh, that, that people who really love it, they change. Or Rafael Nadal just gets a one massive left arm bicep and then has a puny little right arm. I mean, that, that's actually, we can see that. No, that's true, right? Like, like, yeah. like that's true. I know that tennis players it's true for, yeah. but like baseball players too, like the American Pitching Association, like Tom Howes and uh, Eric Fenske and those guys, they're like, the, they love, they espouse to the chuck it strategy. I don't know if you ever heard of that. Chuck no. it. And it just all all they're saying is like, when you throw the ball and you get loose and you play your practice or your games, throw the freaking ball every time, like whip the ball, and your like body you right and mean it. You can't overdo it. You know what I mean? Like doing it 120, 150, 200 times, it, it, you can do too much. But if you're gonna do 50 to 80 throws throw the ball and then what they're saying is is that your body responds over time your the fascial quality of all your connective tissue increases the bones that can bones start holding more muscle musculature they're 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 less likely to break all of that stuff it just it builds you and and that's just all it's like attitude it's it's born of attitude and borderline mythology to me it's it's borderline Jesus Christ, baseball God stuff. Man, I love it. Love that conversation. Um, We could go on. I feel like we could, this could be a four hour pod. Really? Dude, it took so many good turns. I love it. Oh man. Yeah. But we're going to transition to coach's corner. Um, Jimmy, I texted you about this, that we, we end with coach's corner and then tales of Hennepin hall, which is something Jake or I tell just a story about our college days. But I think you said you might've had something for coach's corner. I don't know if that's right. I got something in, in lieu. If you don't have one, I got one. Jake, tell us the story yeah. because I, I have a couple stories, but some of them are like a little, Maybe, a, a little, little edgy, a little edgy. So, so I, you want me to, you want me to tell my yeah, story go, then? Go and, first and, and, then, and then I'll, and then I'll see okay. if, if maybe I can share. If, and, I'm, if I'm matching tones correctly. All right. Okay. 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 So, I don't think I've told the Pittsfield Dan Duquette story. Have I, Chris? No, not in here. Okay, good. And you'll appreciate this, Jim. You said you were an ECBL, you know, you're the record holder. Right, right? He, and he's involved, average. right? Yep. So y- you played at Wacona Park in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, yes. yeah? Yep. Okay, so I, I played there 2006, I think. Uh, sun delays and all. We've talked about that, yeah. that misery. Yep. Uh, but the year I was there, uh, Dan Duquette, um, he was the GM, even though he was like still the GM or president of the Red Sox or I don't even, it was like, why did he like have any involvement? Yeah. <laughs> I have no idea, but he did. And, um, we played up at like this separate complex. He had like housed us for like a couple of weeks. It was like a camp with a field, but it was like barracks. So you kind of got to see him and know him. He was kind of a quirky guy to be quite honest. He's like kind of to himself and just, I don't know. He'd come around and say, Hey, but it's like Dan Duquette. Wow. Baseball. He's connected. It's like Red Sox. Holy shit. Right. Right. So anyway, you got to talk to him a little bit. So I was struggling. Um, I don't know if I was like Ofer or just like some guy was getting me with a slider and he was coming in 
to the game like a couple series later. And I was like, fuck, this guy's coming in. He had a nasty slider down and away. It just, just buried me. I could never, never picked up the spin. I'll never forget. I'm on the on deck circle um, as this guy's warming up. I'm coming in. I'm, I'm leading off against him at, you know, eighth or ninth inning. And Duquette's in the stands. And I see him kind of walk down. He's like, hey, Jake. I'm like, oh, hey, hey, Mr. Duquette. And he's just like, hey, I want you to try something different this time. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, oh, okay. And I shit you not. He goes, just watch the ball. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I'm trying to, man. He's got a nasty slider. He's like, no, no, no. Just just literally just watch it. I was like, all right, Mr. Duquette. And I went up there. And I think I promptly struck out in like three or four pitches, like buried a slider away, strike three. And I went to the dugout. <laughs> I'm like, thanks. Thanks for the, like, is that a vote of confidence? What the hell was that, dude? Right, yeah. Like, unbelievable yeah, try, try I guess that's what he thought of try me. looking at the ball this time hey did you basically. hey do you ever think of this do you, ever, you ever try seeing it yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, what the fuck am i trying to do so if that gives you any tone of where you wanted to go i mean that that was a little pc but i thought yeah. it's a funny story that i mean there, i have a story like so my first year of you know half it was short season a ball i had just been drafted so we got you know the draft is just a couple days ago, the end of July or whatever. And we go out to Eugene, Oregon to play the first summer. And my coaches, my coach was a catcher named Danny Schaefer. And, you know, hard-nosed sort of guy, really knowledgeable about the game. He was played in the big leagues with the Colorado Rockies for a little while. And, you know, it was one of his first managerial jobs. And, um... You know, he had he had over the course of the summer he had had a few run-ins with the players like players you know like I, I mean like fighting <laughs> when I say run-ins when I when I say run-ins like I mean one of the pitchers talked back to him one day and he put his forearm in his throat and jammed him into the locker and told him where he should go and yep. so like there's there had been a few incidents where maybe he had stepped over his bounds a little bit and, you know, wasn't exactly, uh, you know, he wasn't exactly uh, Joe Madden when it comes to like player relationships, let's say. Mm -hmm. Right. So, but I had had a good summer. I, you know, at the time I was hitting uh, 299 on the last day of the season and was it 298 or 299? Anyway, <laughs> two, 290, 298, let's say. Uh, last day of the season, I had 10 homers. I, you know, had half a season, I had 50 RBIs. So, like, no matter what happened that day, it was going to be uh, remembered as, like, Jimmy did a good job for himself this season. You know, congratulations. You know, a good, it was a good season. Yep. But there was this specter of, you know, I was hitting either 300 or not hitting 300. So he came up to me before the game. And he was kind of prickly, like I said, you know, um, and he's like, hey, Jimmy, what are you thinking about right now? You know, and just kind of being arrogant about the whole thing. And I'm like, I'm thinking I'm probably going to need to get two hits, you know, and he so I get a hit in my first at bat and I'm like two ninety nine and some change. Yeah. Right? And, and low change. Not enough. change. Not enough to round up. Not <laughs> enough to round up. So. My next at bat comes around, 
right? And I, you, the guy gets strike one and strike two on me. And I look down over at Danny. And since we had talked about it before the game, kind of like, all right, well, it all comes down to this sort of, you know, we knew it was going to end up here. So I kind of gave him a glance, like, you know, a little bit smiley, a little bit teethy, a little bit kind of like, you know, I feel like we're jiving right now. Like <laughs> he took me out of the game. He took me right out of the game because he Two thought strikes. I was making. He Wait, thought mid, I, minute, minute bat, minute, minute bat took me out of the game. Thought I was making light and making a joke of <laughs> of the situation, and I didn't get my chance. So I ended up pitting like two ninety eight or two ninety nine on the season. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. Uh, not yeah, not good I for mean, you. I just, no, it wasn't <laughs> a, good. It, it wasn't dick. good. But I just remember, <laughs> yeah. I remember that, like, I was like, it, and, you know, he kind of thought I was a little bit flaky anyway, uh, and maybe a little bit too clubhouse lawyery. So he thought I, I'm, you know, he thought he thought I was a little bit of uh, uppity northeast prick. Basically, is was kind of mm-hmm. what he, just from having a regular conversation with me, where whereas, you know. If I'm here and I'm talking to you guys, I, I mean, I feel like I'm pretty. It's pretty comfy and pretty friendly. Pretty gener- normal, dude. Pretty, yeah, pretty but normal, dude. Generally, we're two but, northeast pricks, so you right, fit right in. So. Well, this is, this, <laughs> yeah, this exactly. is kind of what yeah. I'm getting at here, and, and he was, <laughs> you know, he was kind of a South Car- North Carolina NASCAR guy. And hey, don't you make fun of that NASCAR? As well I'm, I'm live making now. fun. I'm just saying we had really come from different worlds. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, he did not, just my regular old self being was annoying to him. And so he was just generally annoyed with me the whole fucking time. And uh, figured out, figured that he would take his, take it. And so that was a pretty shitty coaching. Yeah. He sniped you, dude. Sniped you with two strikes. I mean, shit, I'd rather go down on three strikes than you take me out. He was just like, you know, fuck you. And he, I think he sweared, (laughs) I think he swore at me. You know, you, you know, like, like I was, and I really wasn't, you know, I was like, if I was, I don't know what you're, I don't know what you're mad at, but I really wasn't doing any of, I don't, I don't know what, what sort of light you thought I was taking, but I, I really wasn't. And even to this day, I'll tell you now, I, I, that was absolutely not my intention to try to make a mockery of the game yeah. or anything like that. I'm sure the pinch hitter got something good to hit with a one, two count as a pinch hitter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, slider down and away. <laughs> just cool. wa- just try watching it this time. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> that imagine Jimmy like, hey, wa- watch the slider. Just watch it. I've seen it twice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I have, pretty good. I haven't. I you know I I have some other stories, um, but you know some of them are a little bit too edgy. Well, we're gonna have you back in in a, in a few months, Jimmy, because this is a good conversation. So save some All of right. those. All uh, right, save them, Jake. What do you got, man? You said you had a security. Yeah, I got a ta- tales of Hennepin Hall. So Jimmy Hennepin Hall was uh, the dorm at Siena College that we lived in. Okay. Um, so tales of Hennepin Hall are just tales of our college days. I think I feel like we can relate a lot to a lot of other college athletes or just college kids in general. This one will probably relate to a lot of college kids. Um, we were talking last episode with our buddy Chap about Siena Security. So Siena Security was. Like half the time we were there, they were they were kind of cool. The other half of the time, they were trying to be strict because we were like supposedly a dry campus, and you know you have a you have to like you know go through like gates to get on campus if you're off. It was just kind of weird. 
So anyway, I had a buddy come up, one of my good buddies, uh, another another guy named Chris, and he was coming to visit me. Um, and he parked his car in like the, I don't know, the general area, which you don't have to get a tag or anything. It was just, just leave it there and everything's fine. So anyway, he comes up, we, uh, he parks it, but I don't know where he parked. I just thought he had parked outside my townhouse, but he just came and met me and we're, we're already having a good time drinking, having a, you know, it's straight into the day, straight into the night, long night, just absolutely ripping it, having a great time. Wake up in the morning and we go out, we need to go to breakfast and we walk out and I'm like, dude, where's your car? And he's just like, yo man, I, it was parked right here. I'm like, yeah, I know it was parked right here. Where is your car? I bet they towed it. And I'm like all high and mighty. Just like, I bet they, I know they towed it. They, these MFers definitely towed your car. I'm going to go give them a piece of my mind. So I'm, we go walking down to Siena security, just pull open the door. And Chris, did you ever go to the security yeah, office? Yeah. yeah. It was like, yeah, it was like, it was, I forget what it was. It was like, between the townhouses in the parking lot or whatever. It was like, a, it was like this weird little like shack camper. building that was like next to like, it was just like totally unassuming. I remember opening it up and the Italian guy who had like the perfect mustache, who was like the nicest security guard at Siena is like working the desk at that point. So I walk in and I'm like, Hey, did you guys tow any cars last night? Just such an asshole right off the bat. Like not even hi, how you doing? She's like, you guys tow any cars? He's like, well, let me check my record. No, we didn't tow any cars. I'm like, I bet you towed some cars. Where's my <laughs> my buddy came here? His car's not here. This is ridiculous. You towed someone's car. Why are you guys lying? Like like berating this guy. And he's like, we didn't tow you. We towed no cars last night. We don't know what you're talking about. And my buddy Chris, he, he's just like, yo, I don't know. Let's just go figure it out. And like, he's already walking out. And I'm just like, this is ridiculous. Like, just so hungover, mad. I just want to go get a bagel sandwich. <laughs> we start walking to the cafeteria and about, I don't know, 60 yards later, my buddy Chris and I zero in on his car that he never moved, that he parked when he originally got there and completely forgot and thought that he moved it to the other parking lot. And he's like, well, here's my car. <laughs> I'm sure that set the, set the tone with Sienna security to really treat us well for the rest of our time there too, Jake. So, I remember thinking to myself like, well, let's go get our bagel sandwich. But damn, I was a dick. Like, just totally went off on this guy. Yeah. Again, I feel like a lot of people can relate to just security at their, uh, the college, you know, colleges, right. just right. doing stupid shit. In this, I'll defend them. They did nothing wrong. It was us doing stupid shit. <laughs> Probably ninety percent of the time, it was us doing stupid shit. But yes. uh, some of the rules got a little bit outrageous by the end, uh, and we skirted yeah. them pretty successfully for the most part. But yeah. <laughs> Sienna Security. Sorry, guys. Yeah, no, that's all right. I, I, I'm going to have to talk. You know what? I, in Every fall, you know, like October, November, one of my f- college buddies bought a vineyard in um, Massachusetts, like right over the border. And we go up. He's got 54 acres or something like that. So uh, college buddies, a handful of us, get up there, drink some vino, and you know sit over the orchard and his giant like townhouse and you know reminisce so i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to like petition for um because i don't always do the best remembering of those sorts of stories like other people's accounts of these stories are usually better than mine so i'm gonna have to get it fresh and then get it fresh maybe maybe come back with with a with a more 
substantive story for the tales of which hall? What, what hall is this? Hennepin. Hennepin. Yeah, the tales of Hennepin yeah, yeah. Hall. All right, uh, I'll I'll go I'll go kind of like do a little dirt digging and you know try to tell us a, a, a story about somebody else's misfortune, not my own. <laughs> that sounds good. Well, just yeah, just text idea. yourself. Text. That's what I do now. Right. I either text myself when I think of an idea, or I call Chris yeah. when I'm like. <laughs> Hey, I got some content I think we need to talk about. I'll just call him back. Like, hey, don't, don't let me forget about this. Like, okay, we won't forget Jake, about it. Jake, you called me yesterday going to pick up your son, Connor, while I was driving to bring my son, Connor, to a haircut. So we're both in the car, and you're like, hey, I got to tell you this because I don't want to forget it. And like, I don't have a pe- pen and paper to write it down. I'm like, all right, <laughs> I won't right. forget it. <laughs> Thanks. No problem. Just text it. Text it to yourself. <laughs> well, I really appreciate you guys having me on. It was It was actually a really nice... It was a really nice time, you know, re- meeting you, Jake, and and visiting with Chris. Likewise, um, you know, we we don't get a chance to catch up all the time, so um, you know, let's do it again. Let's do it again. The Man Pepper Pod is straight baseball banter, Jimmy. So whenever you want to <laughs> talk baseball, you can come back on. All right, man. That's it, man. Nice meeting you. Episode sixteen yeah. in the books. Seventeen. Thanks, I think. guys. I, I Thanks, Jimmy. It. Seventeen. Bye-bye. My bad. Thanks, man. <laughs>